Hey, this is Jeff Bond, and welcome to another edition of Chat with Leaders, where we're passionate about amplifying the voices of leaders who use their influence as a force for good. Today, we welcome back the incredible Vicki Flyer Hudson. She is the CEO of High Road Global Services in Atlanta, Georgia, and we chat about how leaders can better engage in depolarizing dialogues to resolve conflict in the workplace and in their everyday lives. Spoiler alert, it's not about being nice. You'll learn why having depolarizing dialogues has become such an important leadership skill, especially over the last few years, how most business leaders feel about engaging in depolarizing conversations to resolve workplace conflict, four myths that Vicky says hold leaders back from engaging in depolarizing conversations, and how leaders can improve the way in which they handle conflict management in the workplace. You can also learn more about how to become a conflict management coach under the guidance of Vicky as you steer your ship towards success in these challenging times by clicking on the link in the show notes. As always, we're incredibly grateful for those who are sharing this content with a friend and rate our show on your favorite podcast outlet. Okay, let's jump into this chat with Vicki Flyer Hudson. Enjoy. Welcome to Chat with Leaders, Vicki. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be back. Awesome to have you back. You know, I don't have a lot of people back. I plan on it over the course of time, but I will tell you that this is one callback interview chat that I have been looking forward to for months now. So thank you, as always, for your gift of time and, and thoughtfulness and sharing your wisdom with our audience. Thank you for having me. I've also been looking forward to it just based on uh, the inspiration I felt after our last conversation. Well, that means a lot. Well, I know we're going to get into a really important and relevant topic for today, which is uh, deep polarizing dialogues. And this was based on an article that I saw you write on LinkedIn not long ago it was in August. And what I love about the distinction here that you make is that it's not about being nice. That's right. Yeah, exactly. That is such a common misconception. And I think that's part of what steers people away from depolarizing dialogues is because they think they have to be nice and they think they have to come to agreement. And over the years, I've discovered ways in which you can still speak firmly about what you believe, but without demonizing the other person. And that's really the goal. I love that. Well, yeah, you're so graceful in that and, and you're, you're a master at it. And you've, you've studied this and you've really poured yourself into the way that you can create uh, harmony and conflict or at least resolution. And I know that there's a lot of myths that we'll unpack here. But before we jump into that, Vicki, for those who are just encountering you for the first time and don't know you, why have depolarizing dialogues become such an important focus for you over the last few years? You know, I'm a musician. I, I have a, a, a Rush tribute band on the side. Uh, we do play the music professionally, and then I do that in addition to my, my day job, I guess you could call it. That's when I really started to get interested in it, was seeing how in the music community, you've got people from all over the political spectrum, but you have this common thing that unites you. So because you have that common ground and you have that relationship and you have that trust with, you know, particularly the folks in my band, but even some of our fans, it allows you to start exploring things that maybe you couldn't necessarily do uh, with strangers or with coworkers or even with family, because there's, you know, a lot of maybe history or whatever there. But music is this kind of lighthearted common ground that brings you together. And so I started noticing that, um, I could have conversations 
about even hot button issues like politics with some of my musician friends, because we kind of already had that established relationship and common ground, and that the conversations uh, could be effective without me having to necessarily compromise my own belief system. And I thought, you know, I should be sharing this because obviously there's a lot of uh, discord to say the least in the U.S. right now, but of course that's also happening around the world, particularly with COVID, which has heightened a lot of these divisions and polarizations. And I thought I could take some of these techniques that I've been using and actually start to share them. And my mission in that was to reduce the hate and demonization, not to necessarily get people to come to any kind of agreement. Mm. Mm. And because humans are very predictable when it comes to demonization and hate, unfortunately, we kind of all follow, we tend to follow the same patterns over and over, which is why, you know, history tends to repeat itself with hate and demonization. So I thought I, I could do something with this. And then I started to take some of those techniques and develop keynotes and coaching and programs around that. And it's been really inspiring to see the results. It is. And, and I love uh, in your article where you say that your soul sings when you do this work. And so when somebody says their soul sings when they're doing this work, you can tell that there's passion and purpose. And, and that's someone that I want to talk to about this very, this very topic, because it is so important to your point and so prevalent in today's world. And we need to find ways to resolve some of these conflicts or, or at least be able to have conversations in a civil way. Um, and before we jump into the myths that you say kind of uh, a lot of people hold about depolarizing dialogues, how do most business leaders that you've encountered feel about engaging in these types of conversations to resolve conflict in the workplace? I think that most of them are fairly uncomfortable with it because let's face it, I mean, nobody likes conflict, but some personality types who make wonderful leaders, but they may not necessarily have the personality type where they just are comfortable with conflict. They see it as healthy. They are fine with engaging in it. You know, they have other facets of their personality that make them a great leader. So I've noticed a lot of discomfort and especially because of COVID, you've got all these things in place now that are creating a lot of division. So mask mandates, vaccine mandates, new rules about the office coming into the office versus mm. working remotely. All of that is heightening the situation. So I mm. think some of these leaders know that they have to face this, but they have some varying levels of discomfort in doing so. And a lot of leaders get promoted into their positions without necessarily having had training on conflict management. So all of a sudden they're faced with this huge issue, like how do I get my employees to wear masks if my company has a mask policy and they're resisting? And that's a very difficult situation for them to be in. That is, yeah, it's incredibly hard. And I, and I value the questions that you pose that a lot of people uh, maybe either express outwardly or don't, whether if they're in a position of leadership, they're valid fears. They wonder, will I have to water down my views? Will I be forced to come to an agreement with the other side? Who holds the power in yeah. the conversation? Or will I be complicit in supporting a harmful view? That's, that's a lot of responsibility for a leader. Uh, and particularly maybe when you're in a position to not be able to express those valid concerns in a safe way in the workplace when you hold that position uh, of authority. But I think it's, it's good to kind of address that vulnerability and to 
address these fears and the perspectives that you offered on several myths of depolarizing dialogue. So I, I wanted to jump into the, the first one. Depolarizing dialogues are about civility and being nice. And, and I'll be the first to say, you know, civility is a word that I always think about. It's like, where is the civility these days? And how can we not, you know, just get along and be nice to one another? And I'm probably the type that wants to win other people over. So this is a struggle for me. So can you break down that myth for me? Yeah, I think you are not alone in that feeling. I think that, you know, when we look around, particularly at the political environment today and the division in the U.S., uh, you know, context, but also, again, elsewhere in the world, it's very easy to wish for a time of uh, more civility and being able to disagree on a, yeah, with a civil tone, et cetera. And that is not uh, off the table when it comes to depolarizing dialogues. I think that where the myth comes in is that civility tends to be the byproduct of those depolarizing dialogues, but it's not necessarily the primary goal. So in other words, it is okay to feel frustrated in a depolarizing dialogue. It is okay to say that you are upset by something that you are not in agreement with the person, that you feel that their view um, really, you know, doesn't resonate with you and and maybe even hits home in a way that feels harmful to you. And so civility is something that might come from that because if you feel heard and the other party feels heard, you might naturally start to be more civil toward each other, but Mm. that's not necessarily the goal. The goal is more to be able to express yourself and express your view, again, without demonizing the other person, because all kinds of things tend to come from that. Humans are, again, very predictable when it comes to escalating conflict. You know, we need things like ground rules and maybe even timing and and things like that structure around those conversations. When I have participants in depolarizing dialogues or I'm coaching leaders on that, I'm not necessarily coaching them to just always be civil and nice. Sometimes they need to be firm and expressive. We are going to take a quick break for this message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Inspire EDU, a nonprofit organization putting technology devices into the hands of Atlanta's underserved communities. The need for technology devices has accelerated due to the pandemic, and Inspire EDU makes a positive difference helping marginalized learners. Through its partners and supporters like you, Inspire EDU helps learners become 21st century scholars. Learn how you can support their mission at iuatl.org. And now back to our chat. Sometimes I think guarding your heart too, because you know when you're in those situations, you want to feel heard. I like what you said about feeling heard on both sides, uh, but you also have to give that space for the other person to feel heard, even if it's an opposing viewpoint and not shut them down. And uh, that's something that I've uh, worked at over the years and I think have gotten better at uh, as a leader. And I know that that's, uh, that's particularly hard is, is not just expressing your point of view and not allowing that space uh, for the other to come through. So the other myth that you mentioned was having to reach an agreement or a consensus. And I think that's what a lot of people go into depolarized conversations, if they're going to lean into an uncomfortable conversation, they want to come out with an agreement, but you say that's a myth. Can you unpack that? 
Yeah. So in fact, I would say it's quite the contrary. So uh, I am currently a volunteer for an organization called Braver Angels, which is uh, they teach skills for talking across the political divide in a U.S. context. And one of their sort of guiding principles is around stating their views, stating our views, whoever's participating freely and fully without fear. Mm. So one of the things I like to highlight to leaders is it is not always a balanced situation. So when you are trying to be a bridge builder, that doesn't necessarily mean both sides have to come and meet in the middle because it may be a situation in which one party has to build a bigger bridge to, toward the other side than the other party. So if it came to, uh, for example, you know, racial justice or, you know, um, as a Jewish person, I can say that if someone was a, a, a Holocaust denier, I'm not going to try to necessarily build a bridge in the middle with that person, right? So sometimes you have to come farther. So that means that you won't always reach agreement. But depolarizing dialogues are about being able to express your view firmly and freely without fear. And again, without dehumanizing the other person, because once you do, that sets off a ripple effect of all kinds of consequences, like anything from stereotyping, uh, cutting off options. This is one thing I tell leaders, you know, when you get trapped in a polarized dialogue and you're, you're getting escalated yourself, you start cutting off solutions and potential options mm. all the way out to hate or violence. It's all sort of part of the same spectrum. Mm. So we have to have ways to express our views, even if those views are very firm and strong, we can say things like, you know, uh, I hear you. That issue really hits home for me because I, I have personal experience with that. So I, I want to share my experience with you. And then you can share that firmly and freely. I like that. I like the firmly and freely without fear, uh, but also having having kind of a framework for being able to deliver that and to remove the fear by having kind of a, a way in which you approach those conversations. I was really, it was cool for me to see when you started to, to do the volunteer work there with Braver Angels, because uh, I think that's such a great fit uh, for you. Were you familiar with them before you got involved? No, I, I couldn't believe how amazing this organization is. I mean, I've attended, of course, several of their workshops because I'm about to start leading them myself and moderating yeah. the discussions between, uh, we they call it red and blue instead of Democrat and Republican, because there's lots of variation within that. So uh, yeah. I'm going to start leading some of those discussions and workshops fairly soon. But uh, I am amazed at how when you learn the right skills, you can have these conversations and again, still express yourself in the full authenticity of who you are. But you also leave room to be changed by the other person, hmm. because it's really all about nuance. And that's, I think, when, when I think back on my years of doing this work, it's really about when we start to demonize the other person, we start to lose the nuance of who they are and of their views. Hmm. So we see them as, oh, that person's a red or that person's a blue. And automatically they go into this category that loses that complexity. And as soon as we lose the complexity, they start losing their humanity. Hmm. And that's what Braver Angels and some of my work is really you know, intended to do is preserve the humanity, uh, keep, keep the firmness, keep, keep the disagreement if you want to or need to, but preserve the person's humanity. 
Hmm. So many good quotes in there. You just said there's so many <laughs> rewind back and listen to that over and over again. I always learn so much from you, Vicki. So the third Thank myth you. I wanted to, to get into. So I, I have to water down my views to have a successful depolarizing dialogue. So can you break down that myth for me? Yeah. And, and again, uh, shifting your views might be a byproduct of a depolarizing dialogue. So let's say that uh, someone on the left and someone on the right politically uh, come together and talk about, um, you know, mask mandates or whatever. In listening to each other, truly listening without planning their own responses and, you know, being able to have certain skills around conflict management, it is possible that their view might shift. But again, that is not the goal. And in fact, I think we have to mind that temptation because some people do, you know, start depolarizing dialogues and they're thinking, okay, that person's being so nice and they're being kind and, and they're kind of showing that they're shifting their view. Maybe I should do the same. Again, that is not necessary. It might happen. Uh, but we're really listening for nuance. We're listening for when we listen to opposing views, even those that might be what we consider harmful. We're listening for nuance. We're listening for stories. We're listening for that person's humanity. And perhaps there is more to that view than meets the eye. And maybe we have a, a blind spot toward that view that that person could open up. And in the end, it may not be that, again, our view shifts, but maybe our view toward that person shifts. So our view of that topic may never shift, but our view toward that human being might shift. And that opens up the options. From there, you can keep talking. You can read and learn something new. Or, you, know, you can even fight more strongly for your own view because you've listened to the opposing view and you've learned more about what they're all about. And, and through that learning, you could say, okay, well, now I have an even better argument for why X, Y, or Z shouldn't happen. So it's, you know, the decision about what to do with that remains yours always. There's a lot of self-determination in depolarizing dialogues and in conflict. That's how it should be. Uh, but we can at least listen. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And the, the nuance and the combination with humanity and seeking the humanity. It's not a, sometimes we're negotiating with ourselves while we're in those conversations when we ought not to, we can, we can have our views and we can allow things to kind of play out in our own mind and not have it all pre-scripted exactly how it's going to end and how we're going to reach this agreement. So, well, that segues nicely into the fourth and final myth that you had in the article, which was that having a dialogue with someone who holds what I consider harmful views is complicity. So can you break that one down for us? I, I put that in there because I started getting that question from some clients and colleagues. It's like, well, if I sit there and listen to someone who holds a view that is harmful maybe to, to me, uh, to people I love, et cetera, is that being complicit in that view by just sitting there and listening to that? And I really had to think about that one for quite a while. And I suppose there are situations in which it could be, uh, particularly if you are coming to agreement just to be nice when really uh, you don't agree at all. So that kind of goes back to myth number one, that it's, it's about, you know, that if you start just saying, well, okay, I kind of see what you mean just to be nice, but in your head, you're actually thinking, no, I feel strongly that, you know, from my perspective, this is harmful. That's complicity. But 
we always have choices in depolarizing dialogues. If we're hearing something that is we feel is harmful to us, we always have the choice to walk away. And there are ways that we teach our clients to walk away from escalating conversations because not every depolarizing dialogue ends well. Mm. And sometimes they start to escalate or you feel that the person just simply is not open at all to listening to your point of view. And that's usually the time to exit gracefully. So we always have that option. But again, even a view that we feel is harmful may have more nuance to it than we think. And generally speaking, if we want somebody to change their mind, and, and maybe that is, you know, in some depolarizing dialogues, that might be your purpose. Generally speaking, that's not how we should go into those dialogues. But maybe there's a, a situation in which you feel like it's really important for me to try to get this person to hear me. You're not going to accomplish that by shutting them down, by calling their views harmful or terrible or whatever other pejoratives people might use. Uh, you've just cut yourself off from the potential for things to change. There are instances in which we can be complicit by not being true to our values for the sake of trying to be nice. But I think if we're genuinely hearing that view, trying to identify more complexity in it, and trying again to see that person's humanity, we may even have a shot to get them to hear us. Yeah. yeah. And I like the point that you made about it being a choice and it's a choice for us to enter into that dialogue, but it's also a choice for us to, to exit gracefully. But the framework that you just laid out and the myths and, and thinking about how we can overcome those myths going into a difficult conversation, whether that's in the workplace or in our everyday lives or in our congregations, you know, in our communities, these are important things to consider before you can lean in to these uncomfortable conversations. So Vicki, this conversation is amazing as always. Uh, what are you most excited about today about the work you're doing and how it's evolving? I think what I'm most excited about right now is coaching because normally I get these leaders for anywhere from three to 12 months. And that really gives us a chance to develop these conflict management skills over time because they're, they're not easy. I mean, you can read about it in a book, but it's very hard to put into practice unless, you know, you have opportunities uh, and, and hopefully support from someone, whether that's a coach or a mentor uh, or others, another CEO or, you know, whatever, whoever's supporting you in that process. So I think that's what I'm most excited about because uh, these leaders who I'm coaching, they bring me specific scenarios. And that way we have a chance to say, how, are, how would you like to approach that? And, and I might teach them a new technique, but it's all about how they want to show up in that conflict. And some of them, like I said, have very difficult situations that they're facing with company policies. And then you're getting a lot of backlash to that and all that. So I find that work very exciting and rewarding. It's a great mentorship to have and, and a space to be vulnerable and to express those challenges that you're facing against the policies and all the new normals. So if people wanted to become a coach or learn more about that program or follow you, Vicki, where would you guide them online? Yeah. So our website is a good place to start. So that's highroaders.com. So like taking the high road, but plural, uh, folks can also contact me by email, Vicki, V-I-C-K-I at highroaders.com. And I do have a very exciting announcement to make about the coaching. So my coaching roster has been full for months and it even had a wait list but I have a couple of folks who are completing their contracts. And so I'm actually going to be opening up 
uh, one, maybe two slots in the next month or so specifically designed for conflict management for senior leaders. So these are the folks who are facing these difficult situations around company yeah. policies with COVID uh, to get support and also maybe to get new techniques around conflict management. So if, if folks want to learn more about that, again, there are only one or two slots that are going to open up. So definitely contact me and we have a, a call to determine if it's a good fit. Absolutely. And I would personally vouch for how much of a life-giving experience that would be working with you, Vicki, and, and seizing that opportunity. What a, what a great life skill to develop and, and a way to grow as a leader. Uh, so we'll absolutely be posting all of those resources on our website with the show notes, chatwithleaders.com. Again, Vicki, I can't thank you enough for sharing your gift of time and wisdom with us uh, again. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's been inspiring to talk to you. And I love how you take things that I've said and just reframe them in such a beautiful way. So I, I appreciate that. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you. Hey, this is Jeff Bond. Thank you for investing your time with us today. We would be grateful for you to take a quick moment and rate this show on Apple Podcasts by simply tapping the number of stars you think it deserves. We also invite you to follow our LinkedIn page. Our handle is at chat with leaders. Make sure to join in on the conversations we're having around the inspiration coming from our guests, how to use business leadership as a force for good, and how to edify our next generation of leaders to leave this world in a better place than how we found it. Have a remarkable week and go be a leader worth following.